0: I want to welcome everybody to tonight's Fireside Chat with Lyndon LaRouche for Thursday, January 6th. I've sometimes been asked why I continually call this the Fireside Chat with Lyndon LaRouche, although Mr. LaRouche has been deceased since 2019. The reason we do that is because we think of our work as being done on behalf of the ideas and outlook, methods, and commitment of Lyndon LaRouche. We've decided after some meetings and discussions to devote this year, 2022, to being the year of Lyndon LaRouche. He would have uh, celebrated his 100th birthday on September 8th of this year. And because of the nature of the power of his ideas, his power, the power of the truth of his ideas, uh, it seems especially appropriate especially, uh, to... to uh, to make that observation uh, in the first of our fireside chats. Now, the fireside chat, of course, was invented by Franklin Roosevelt, uh, a president that was very much the, maybe not the first president that, the, that Lyndon LaRouche knew was a conscious president, but certainly he became president in '33. Lynn would have been 10 years old, would have been the first president probably to have a great impact on him, as with a lot of Americans who then later fought in the Second World War. And the idea of the fireside chat was to discuss matters of policy, uh, matters of fundamental importance to the nation and sometimes to the world, directly with the American people. And radio was the chosen medium of the time. Uh, in one sense, this is very much in the image of that. Uh, and uh, so we, uh, we think about this as a tradition, which really comes from a time when America recognized that it was in the midst of a great crisis and was pulled together by the then president of the United States to face it. Uh, it's important that this be stated because, of course, today, uh, various people uh, in Washington have talked about the, quote, insurrection of last year and many other matters. But today is actually also known as Epiphany. Uh, it's the 12th day of Christmas, uh, and depending on whether you're from the western part of the Christian confession or the eastern orthodox part, uh, you think of this as being the day on which the wise men, the magi, arrived uh, uh, at Bethlehem and and uh, met the Christ child, or you think about it as the actual day of birth of Christ or the occasion of the birth of Christ. Actually, I believe that'll be celebrated tomorrow uh, in the Eastern Orthodox Church. Uh, but it's also sometimes talked about as the day upon which Christ is also baptized by John the Baptist and the day on which he performs his first miracle. So the conception of epiphany that at work here is in one sense, the idea of surprise, uh, the idea of a gift, uh, and that this gift is a surprise, uh, but that what the idea in the mind of Epiphany is, is that suddenly something is realized that had not been realized before, something new and of a fundamental nature that shakes the mind and changes the premises uh of behavior and thought, and even the premises of what people think about the nature of space and time and many other things. That's what the idea of epiphany needs to be about. Now, tonight, as we meet, uh, there are crises that people are not being informed of, including efficiently by the executive branch of our government, the crisis concerning the American relationship to the Russia that it once tried to root did loot between 1991 and 1999, um, and the, the 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 relationship in terms of how this impacts the world from the standpoint of potential nuclear war is one element, but in putting it in a different way, really, in terms of what our role is and, and, and the LaRouche movement's role is is that Lyndon LaRouche always believed in the idea of taking something to a higher level, to look at it and to actually try to get a conception of what was actually happening. So while we could speak about coronavirus, uh, the the Russia-U.S. confrontation, we may, of course, say some things about that. We could talk about the economic collapse, or we could talk about other elements. The way that you avoid getting drawn down into the Uh, uh, smelly weeds of of paradox is to try to look at things from the standpoint of the general welfare of humanity as a whole or what can also be called the public interest of humanity as a whole. And such a thing can be defined. Uh, You, of course, are translating that to particular national conditions uh, and cultural conditions. But it's important that if you can't especially after you've been paraded, parading and paraded as the world hegemon, meaning, in other words, just to be the leading nation in the world. Well, if you're the leading nation in the world, that would assume that you knew something about the world. You knew something about the nations of the world. And to therefore then say, well, we're the leading nation, but we don't care about what goes on in other countries, is not only grossly unfair, uh, to but it's also grossly stupid, since, in fact, The truth of the matter is that you, whether you care about it or not, what is actually happening in the rest of the world is determining the entirety of your life. Look at the fact that the biggest employer in the United States today is the Department of Defense and the extensions of the military. There are about three million people, one way or the other, employed, not deployed, not military personnel now. I'm talking about jobs of one stripe or another. And that's in something that's the acknowledged part of that that economy there are other uh, uh, derivative sections uh, so so uh, uh, that that's not good uh, the, the, the what the the idea that you know so-called private enterprise is driving the United States at this point in our history not true that could be made true and it should be true but you're either talking about monopolistic large-scale corporate, Uh, enterprises, uh, various forms of monetary predatory institutions, or you're talking about the globally extended American military uh, industrial slash media slash academic, et cetera, complex. So for you or for me or for anybody else to make the idiotic statement that what goes on in the rest of the world doesn't affect you, it means that you haven't considered looking at, the way in which the biggest employer in the country is being deployed against the self-interest of the united states by the way but nonetheless has the grip on the lives of a good 12 to 15 americans directly probably including you uh, uh just in terms of directly the the employment side but there's a broader issue here and that's the one i want to just bring us to to really understand what's going on, one of the things that Linda LaRouche used to talk about is you have to look at things on the, on the macrocosmic level and the microcosmic level. Uh, think about life at a microscopic level and then think about the potentials of life at the macrocosmic level. Uh, space of course is the one element of way that you can think about that and the present paradox we find ourselves in in confrontation not only with the coronavirus but with respect to what used to be called human human in, immunodeficiency virus or other frontier areas of biology um, and, and sort of the, the, the borderline, the frontier borderline between living and non-living processes. That's what's determining actually literally whether or not people are going to work right now in America, for example. It's determining whether people can congregate. So the, the, the lack of our knowledge at that mac, my, microscopic level and in a less, less obvious way at the macroscopic uh, cosmic level, you know, the, these things make a big difference. We could talk about, of course, the threat of asteroids just as one example of why that makes a certain difference. But I don't just merely mean the threats. It's the idea that our job as a, 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 a citizenry in what should be a free and intellectually free republic is to discover solutions to problems, which solutions provide for promotion of the general welfare of ourselves, meaning humanity as a whole, and nations in particular, and our futurity, our posterity. Um, That's what we need to do. So uh, I uh, I asked that Jason uh, would start us off, Jason Ross would start us off, for the new year with a very specific kind of discussion. And we'll be getting into various elements of discussion. We don't have a problem with that in questions and answers, but I'll let Jason introduce how he wants to take up the topic that he's going to take up. But the issue is to try to shift away from the banality and the noise of the particulars of what you're being caused to think is the topic, like that speech given by Biden slash Harris today in favor of looking at the actual topics that are actually uh, determining uh, your fate and the fate of humanity as a whole. So, Jason, you have the floor.
1: Okay, thanks, Dennis. Um, Before we look up to the stars, I do want to, you know, er beg our audience's forbearance as I drag our noses through the mud just a little bit. Won't make any further mention of the speeches of Kamala Harris about Pearl Harbor, 9-11, about Joe Biden um, with the dagger held to the throat of American democracy against which he is defending us, about Dick Cheney being a favored guest on the floor of the House with Democrats falling over themselves to shake his hand as a defender of democracy, of Nancy Pelosi bringing in Lynn manuel Miranda and the cast of Hamilton to sing a song about democracy, the emotional support dogs in the Capitol. <laughs> you know, you knew it was gonna be silly today and uh, they didn't disappoint. But so what happened a year ago was not a coup, it was not a potential coup. Uh, it had nothing in it that was going to make it possible to actually seize the reins of power. That was that was never going to happen. Uh, the invasion of the Capitol, which took place in a time with a timing that actually prevented the discussion of the topics that people came to DC you know there's some unmuted sound on here I'm not sure I don't know if it's you Dennis it might be something else but
0: pointing no it out. it's not me Charles could you check that okay the um
1: the the you know storming at the Capitol which actually took place at a timing that interrupted the debate about the votes that's what was going on in the in the uh in the Congress uh in the Capitol at that time so what it is being used for, I'll say something about that, and then let's talk about what actually happened or what the setup was, what we know, what we don't know. So the biggest use of this is being to criminalize politics. And this goes hand in hand with the takeover of social media under pressure from not only government bodies like the Congress bringing in the social media CEOs repeatedly to say, why aren't you doing more to shut down voices we don't like? But also such institutions as the Atlantic Council, you know, as NATO, as, you know, the the Anglo-American establishment from that military front, in addition to the financial front, telling the social media companies what's to be said, what isn't to be said. So, you know, you can't say certain things. Are they private companies? Let's not even get into that. I mean, what should the law be, not what is it? Then you get the overall criminalization where you say that your political opponents are not just bad and shouldn't be voted for, but are primarily violent hooligans who belong in prison. Perhaps the person you'd like to vote for for president, if you would like to vote for Trump again, maybe you won't be able to. Looking for ways to say that this is uh, an insurrection like the Civil War, and therefore he should be disqualified from holding future public office. Meanwhile, what's actually happening on the democracy front in the United States? We held this democracy summit, which is just an abominable, making us a laughingstock of the world. You know, with the situation with Julian Assange, who is being held in Britain, no friend of freedom, on the legal prerogative of the United States, seeking his extradition. That's not democratic, is it? or take the situation in New York state where to run as an independent and statewide um, for the, for federal office, Diane Sarah who's a candidate for U S Senate in New York state as an independent needs to get 45,000 signatures under a law, under a, a change in the law. That's not democratic. That's preventing other people outside voices from being involved. That is opposing election openness. That's for sure. So, you know, so what what happened January 6th? So the setup was that there were a number of concerns about voting that deserved to be looked into, where, you know, we see people covering up voting windows, things like this, where people want to say, okay, what are the answers to this? Mixed in with it was a whole bunch of nonsense about Chinese computers switching votes, things like this, the kind of stuff Mike Lindell is still doing. Leading into it, you had... 4 5 years of Russia gate crap of lies against Donald Trump claiming that he had been put in office by Vladimir Putin ridiculous totally crazy the kind of thing that should just be immediately laughed at yet was taken seriously as some you know out of some pious concern for the nation by the you know many liars that we have in this country for years so January 6 comes around and one of the big questions uh, this was raised in a press conference today on the Hill by uh, Matt Gates and um, Marjorie or Margaret, I forget her name, Green, Congresswoman Green, is the role of a number of people who video footage places front and center in the events of January 6th, who, unlike people charged with the grave crime of trespassing, have not been arrested by the FBI or in certain cases not even found by the FBI. The most notable of these guys, and I'll be brief because I'm sure many people have heard about him ray epps supposedly flew from arizona to dc for trump's rally well what did he do the night before the rally he was going around telling everybody we got to go into the Capitol." there were people in groups that he was speaking to who called him out saying you're a fed you're trying to cause a problem so lots of footage of that then on the day of january 6th before trump's uh um Rally. He's out telling people, go to the Capitol right after the rally. That's what we're going to do. That's our plan. He told people the night before, we're going to go into the Capitol. On January 6th, while Trump is still speaking, he's right up there at the front, right at the fence, the first fence that's actually broken uh, into the restricted area around the Capitol that day. And he's talking to a guy, boom, two seconds later, they knock the fence down. He's right in there, right up front, heads right to the Center of where the action is by the media scaffold. Where, let me mention another person. Oh, by the way, Epps never been arrested, not charged with anything. He was on the FBI's most wanted list from January after the events until July when the New York Times and Revolver News had pointed out, hey, why is this guy not arrested yet? The FBI responded by taking him off the most wanted list, not by arresting him. Okay, so. You'd think this is the kind of guy you'd want to question. So he gets to this media scaffold. There's a guy on the top of this media scaffold with a bullhorn for like an hour telling everybody, move forward, come forward, we need you to come forward. When the Capitol doors were open, he said, go in, go in, go in. Clearly leading thing. Has he been put on the most wanted list? No. Has he been arrested? No. Another guy, clearly working to roll up the fencing and the signage that said that the area was restricted area letting people know that they couldn't walk in an area of the the capitol grounds that usually is open to visitors has he been arrested nope on january 4th the capitol police requested extra assistance worrying that something might happen they were denied the next day similar request denied The FBI, we know this, allows thousands of crimes per year to be committed by its informants, by its agents, as part of supposedly playing along with plots to infiltrate illegal organizations to arrest people who are actually going to do something bad. But as we saw with the Whitmer kidnapping case in Michigan, sometimes basically everybody involved is an FBI agent or informant. So, is that why these people have yet to be charged and arrested? Well, the one way to find out would be to, if the DOJ did something about it. Or if the January 6th committee in the House, which is in the Congress, which is supposedly so committed to finding the truth on this day, why haven't they subpoenaed Ray Epps' phone records, you know? So clearly there's, there's, there's a lot more going on there. Is this a fedsurrection? Well, it certainly looks like it. It would be good to actually investigate and find out. What it definitely was not was a coup that was going to seize the reins of power and transform the government of the United States. Was it a bad and violent thing? Yes. Was it a coup? No. Okay? Now, that's, that's this day in history. The other thing I want to look at is a little bit of a broader scope and as a sort of a Christmas celebration, a Christmas gift, that is going to continue to give for many years. I'd like to say something about the James Webb Space Telescope and about how we are going to achieve real breakthroughs. I don't know what they're going to be. Nobody does in our understanding of the entire universe that we live in. So on December 25th, Christmas Day, the James Webb Space Telescope, which had been in various forms of construction for 15, 20 years, launched. It's going to take some time to reach its orbital location, which is a a point called the L2 point. If you drew a straight line from the sun through the Earth and then kept going a little bit more, that's where the satellite is going to sit. So the sun and the Earth are both going to be on the same side of it. So it won't uh, be looking at the sun or the Earth, which would kind of disrupt it. And it's going to be looking out into space in the infrared light range. In this, it follows the Spitzer Space Telescope, which had been launched in 2003 as an infrared space telescope. And the importance of having telescopes that are able to look out with different kinds of light, like the Chandra X-ray Telescope, uh, the Hubble Telescope, which operates in the visible and infrared range, bringing us amazing images that would be like what we could see with our own eyes in a telescope, But then also, the Spitzer Infrared Telescope, this new James Webb Space Telescope, by looking at cosmic phenomena through different wavelengths, it's almost like having an entirely new sense. The Crab Nebula looks a certain way if you look at it as an X-ray telescope. It looks different visibly. If you take a look at it in terms of gamma rays or infrared, it looks yet different. So the more that we're able to expand our range of the electromagnetic spectrum that we can look out into space with, the better. It's like combining the sense of vision, of touch, or the sense of echolocation and 3D scanning that dolphins and and whales can do in the oceans, for example. This is expanding our sensorium. It's very powerful. So what will it let us do? Well, as the universe is expanding, things that are far away from us tend to be moving away from us pretty rapidly because we've built up a lot of speed from distant things overall as the universe expands based on our current understanding. So by looking at things that are more and more towards the red range of the electromagnetic spectrum, these are things that are moving away from us are going to look increasingly red. The same kind of phenomenon, a certain star if it's in a galaxy moving away from us, looks a little bit more red than it does if we look at our sun or another star in our galaxy. If we're looking at a galaxy that's very far away from us, everything in it is gonna look pretty red. So by having these infrared telescopes that go further into this infrared range, then we're able to look further back in distance, further away in distance, And we're able to look further back in time to try to get a sense about how the universe as a whole has been evolving or or not evolving. Has it been more static than we suspected? Has it been changing more interestingly than we expected? Well, we're going to find out once this thing really gets fully under operation, which is going to take a few months. They got to get it set up. They got to run some checks. I'm also assuming that everything actually works in terms of the basics, like the rocket getting where it needs to be. So this thing, you know, with a a mirror 60 times larger than the telescope that it's replacing. In fact, the thing is so big, it doesn't even fit in the rocket. They have to fold it up. And one of the big tasks it's doing right now is unfolding itself. It's like it's assembling itself right now. This telescope costs about half a percent of the cost of destroying Afghanistan. But instead of leaving behind devastation, this is the kind of thing that is going to provide questions that are going to um, provide wonder and new discoveries for people now and really for generations, you know, trying to learn more from what this thing has imaged, what it's been able to show us. And that's really a a fantastic thing. You know, looking a little further into the future, another decade and a half, uh, aiming for a 2035 launch, NASA is deciding between some other types of of satellites, uh, of of observatories to add. A new X-ray observatory to replace Chandra, another kind of infrared telescope that could look for origins of life, a ultraviolet optical infrared surveyor, and also one that would be really devoted to trying to look for early signs of life, looking for the kinds of molecules that we associate with life Here on earth and actually looking for that in atmospheres of planets around other stars phenomenal exciting things this is what we should be doing this is what we should be talking about this is what we should be hearing about on the news having a debate of people trying to say what does this latest finding from our newest set of three satellites show us because this shouldn't just be a once every decade or two thing the way it is right now this is where we ought to be putting our resources as a species instead of this adolescent crap of worrying about war of you know of having poverty on our planet ridiculous stuff so you know that's really the future i just want to say a couple more things about the present so one of them i feel like i got to say is is about covid where you know, is it good news that Omicron appears to be less severe in people who get it than previous strains? Well, that's good news, but a whole lot of people are getting it, such that hospitals are on par to very soon reach peaks uh, in terms of, you know, COVID patients that are just like what we saw at the peak a year ago. This is really, really terrible. Hospitals get full, people are dying, people can't be taken care of, and you compare the approach sort of you know approach of uh, trying to look at this one country at a time it just doesn't work i mean maybe if you're china it actually does work but what about the rest of the world right china's kept its cases down very low but here we got people in the u.s saying oh good i'm vaccinated i'm all set now there's mutations that happen and maybe your vaccine isn't so useful as you thought it was or we simply learn that immunity to this particular virus degrades over time and you need to get an update. Whether you caught COVID before, you can catch it again. Whether you were vaccinated before, you become increasingly capable of catching it as as time goes on and your immunity wanes um, from either way that you got it. So what do we do about the whole world? How do you defeat a virus on a world scale? You have to have a world health approach for the entire globe. That's the way to do it. I mean, polio wasn't defeated in a couple of countries. This was a a global, well, it still remains in a few. This is a global effort. Smallpox defeated worldwide, worldwide. We don't get smallpox vaccines anymore. We don't have to because we destroyed it. So the, the only approach that really works on this is to say what will it take to have the entire world healthy? What does it take to have a global health system in terms of the basics of of healthcare, you know, hospitals, clinics, but also things like income levels sufficient to be able to have, you know, really good diets. Um, and then also research in terms of building up, you know, a revolution in the creation of antivirals. We saw a real revolution with the speed with which the mRNA vaccines were developed and the other vaccines too, they are developed quite rapidly. So you know, what what can the future bring on this? And then I just want to end with the, you know, the strategic situation, which is crucial for us to keep in mind. There's a lot of things going on that seem like they're just insane or crazy or definitely are enraging. You know, things like trans women in sports, something like that, or a debate about critical race theory. I'm not belittling these or saying that, you know, there's not, you know, a better, you know, direction to go on on some of these. But the fact that this is what kind of, you know, occupies people's minds, when meanwhile, our government is risking war with russia and china that's a big deal so next week we've got some opportunities to really calm this down but we also have tremendous dangers so just what have we seen you know recently with the assault on russia for years a couple of things that are kicking that up right now one is the unrest taking place in kazakhstan there's more to learn about this but Kazakhstan borders Russia and China. The sort of inciting event for it, uh, a spike in the price of of liquefied petroleum gas, is connected to market reforms that then created sort of a spot market for this product, which, you know, is the kind of thing that can be manipulated to raise the price, to help create chaos in that kind of way. I think we'll learn a lot more about the situation there. But, you know, Russia has said, look, this expansion of NATO eastward, that's the the potential of bringing Ukraine or Georgia into NATO, they say this is just unacceptable. And so rewinding to 2014, we supported, the US government supported a coup in Ukraine where the government was overthrown illegally, this was not democracy, a new government came into place, put into place with the support of the United States britain you know outside actors you know the exact thing that everyone was claiming that's not everyone that msnbc was claiming the kremlin did uh with trump so that's what actually happened in ukraine as a result of all of that just moving forward Crimea is now part of Russia. This is used as a basis of saying that Russia is taking over other countries. It's a big bully. We have to stand up to it. We need to move NATO to the east. We should do more military o- operations with Ukraine. This is playing with fire. Next week, there's going to be three potentially very important meetings. Well, they're important for what they could be. On Monday, U.S. Russia discussions on strategic stability. Wednesday, Russia NATO discussions. Thursday, OSCE, Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, involving Russia. These are opportunities for the U.S., the NATO countries, countries of Europe to be confronted very directly with Russia's stated and reasonable security concerns and make an immediate U-turn away from a direction that is going to lead us to war. What happens if Ukraine gets, you know, it gets a little plucky and with us or british support decides that it's going to launch an offensive to take over under its full sovereign control of the kiev government the eastern republics you know donetsk lugansk what's going to happen if ukraine starts operating militarily against those regions what will russia do for the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of russian citizens who live in those regions of ukraine where will this lead russia gets involved does the u.s send in support for ukraine or russian and u.s military forces going to be standing off against each other where will that go is that worth any potential risk no it's not this kind of crap is only occurring because there is a need by the anglo-american establishment to, to Uh, stare down Russia and China, force them down to prevent them from taking an independent course, and risking and threatening what would become nuclear war is a risk that these people are willing to take to try to prevent the potential for a new paradigm that is currently sweeping much of the world, potentially can revolutionize international relations, economic affairs. It would be if a potential of the world adopting policies like those of the United States that are at our founding and at our greatest moments. Huge potential for economic development. We should do that instead of saying that Vladimir Putin is our big nemesis and we really have to defend, you know, get Crimea back from Russia. It'll never happen. Crazy, insane goal, setting yourself on the path to war. Drop it, collaborate, let's build a world health system. Let's fully develop uh, areas of poverty in the world including in our own country let's grow physically let's drop the solar panel stuff let's build nuclear plants let's build high technology let's be productive again and uh, and that's that's what larouche fought for i mean i was talking with somebody today and he asked me he said so why is the world like this and at a certain point i mean what can you say besides well because we never elected lyndon larouche I mean, that, that's the kind of the level of, the, uh, of, the, of, of his importance and I think of the potential of the solutions that he's, he had uh, put forward over decades and the kind of thinking that he exhibited. And we must make this the year of LaRouche, not of winning a little battle here and there, but of that quality of thinking if we're going to totally change the trajectory of the planet away from war and towards collaboration and growth. So that's, uh, that's what I wanted to say for starters.